Okay, Mariah, so we are now at the discussion segment for this film, which is... Which one, if you want to remind our audience, please? It is called The Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue. And this was your recommendation, right? Yes. <laughs> so, if you don't mind me asking, what made you recommend this for the podcast? I would say because it definitely gives off the extreme, I guess, 90s Japanese horror animation that isn't really super popular these days, I feel like. And at that time, the 90s, it's just, it was a different type of kind of direction, how they went about it with the gore. And I just, I love this movie. Well, yeah, um, not that I'm questioning your taste, mind you, but I mean, I think it, <laughs> it does fit with our podcast quite well. But I was just wondering what made you think of it, but that's good. Definitely, I, I would say it's more of my Japanese horror love. <laughs> and it all started with the ring. So, yeah, so I, I guess that's what made me really fall in love with this movie. And oddly enough, uh, even though I'm a huge fan of horror, I'm not too familiar with Japanese horror, for that matter. I mean, I know that The Ring, for example, and The Grudge come from over there. But I don't think I've ever seen the originals. And if I have, I forgot. Oh, <laughs> those are really good. It's it's a different take. I, I think it's it was made during a time in the 90s when... I don't know, there's just something different with Japanese horror in the 90s. It's just perfection it, it it's amazing so good i i love love it as they would say it might have been something in the water <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you mentioned how i guess you saw this film and i'm guessing you like it based on what you're telling me i love this film i have it on my amazon wish list for the dvd and for the book too so there's a manga version of this in English. So I really want it really bad. <laughs> this is based on a novel, I believe. But um, as far as first impressions, when you first saw it, I'm guessing you liked it. But what made you so drawn to it? I would say it has to do a lot with the blue tones that this film has throughout the entire film, from beginning to finish. It has a lot of that also 90s bedroom for some reason <laughs> and the 90s TV it's just it's super 90s to me the animation it's oh it's beautiful and then also I don't know it's kind of like a cool idea I would love to visit Japan someday and it's just the views it looks too cool <laughs> and I would also say it has it has to do with a lot of the colors of this film that really drew me in and fall in love. I would say it was more of of the blue sadness in in a lot of the scenes, and then also with the gore too. That was amazing. It was very it complemented each other really well with the blue and the bloodiness. So that was oh hey I, I don't know it's it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I love this film. Because the blood is definitely not blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, whoa, right? What are you it's, talking about? <laughs> it's quite red. <laughs> it's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. 
Yeah, so as far as me, I've seen this movie, movie before, but I, it's been a few months or a while. I had never seen it before, and I actually saw this film for the first time because I am part of a movie club type of thing, kind of like a book club. But um, I haven't been uh, an active participant in that lately because of work and stuff like that. But whenever I do manage to jump in, basically we get together once a month and we talk about a film that one of the members chooses. And somebody in there chose this film. And I want to say it was sometime last year, like around, I don't know, September, October, maybe. So it's been a while. And I had never seen it before that. So oh, wow. this was my second time seeing it. And I think I might have caught some things that I didn't catch the first time. Oh. I do agree with you that it's definitely a very 90s <laughs> film. <laughs> if you are a fan of animation, which I'm going to make a little parenthesis here. And just because something is animated doesn't mean it's for kids. This definitely is not for kids. <laughs> no, definitely not. It's it's i i believe you have to probably have conversation with your kids first maybe because there are a lot of scenes in this film where it's a little different from like child's play <laughs> so <laughs> for sure so yeah i just wanted to bring that up because i feel like a lot of people are turned off by the fact that something's animated because they have that association of oh it's animated it means it's for kids or it means it's for people who are not mature enough or something like that and that's not the case there are a lot of good animated movies and shows that you can watch and it's just like watching a regular show like a live action if not better than a lot of them actually this movie i would say it's better than a lot of movies that i've seen live action movies yay midsummer <clears throat> sorry um <laughs> that's something i'm gonna throw there for a minute uh, <laughs> I keep picking on those movies, I'm sorry. It's, it's a, a, a recurring theme in our podcast, but it's it's my taste, so yeah. <laughs> I'm happy it has surpassed that one, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bar for that one, I'm not going to go too much into that, but the bar for that one is quite low for me, personally. I know it's like the best movie ever for a lot of people out there, and that is respectable. I respect your opinion, but I don't agree with it. <laughs> so I hope you agree with mine when I say that it's not one of my favorite movies. And that I feel like this movie is a lot better because of the way that it's, it makes you really confused. And we'll get into that as we discuss it. Yeah, psychological horror. It's, it's pretty crazy and pretty cool. Very psychological, very well done, very well paced. I mean, the movie's only about 87, 85 minutes long, so it's less than an hour and a half. And I feel like they accomplish a lot more in that hour and a half than a lot of movies do in over two, three hours. <laughs> but I rest my case. I don't want to get too much into that because <laughs> mm -hmm. then people will hate on us or me, at least. I guess, Maria, we can talk about a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff. And I'm going to butcher these names and I apologize because these are names that I'm not familiar with. But the movie Perfect Blue was directed by Satoshi Kon. Screenplay by Sadayuki Murai, based on a novel called Perfect Blue, Complete Metamorphosis by Yoshikazu Takeuchi. And this was released on 1997 in the Fantasia Festival and in 1998 in Japan. And the budget for this was roughly $800,000. 
a little bit more. And it made about 768,000. Wow. It lost a little bit of money, but I think with rentals and the purchases of the DVD and stuff like that, the merchandise, I think it more than made up for it. I would call this a cult film for people who are in, in the know. <laughs> <laughs> people who are into animation. I like some animated stuff. I don't watch a lot of it very often anymore. Not because I don't want to or because I think it's for kids, <laughs> but because <laughs> I don't really have time to watch anything anymore these days. So definitely a top pick for me but let's go ahead and talk about the movie itself mariah some of the scenes in this the plot the yes. character motivations because this is a very easy movie to lose track of if you're not paying attention right yes it definitely needs your full attention while you're watching this for sure so if you're the kind of person that's going to be fidgeting fidgeting on your phone a lot forget it you you blink <laughs> you blink for a couple seconds and you miss on a very and you'll miss rather on a very key scene or plot point and it's gonna lose you and you're gonna be lost completely forever and you have to watch it all over again. So you need to be focused on this people out there in the audience. So we have quite a few characters. Most of them are, are background characters, but there are a few that are the main ones, of course. The main character being Mima, and then we have Rumi, her manager, and Mr. Tadoroko, who is her, I guess, producer or agent slash agent? Yes. So, and then we have the weird security guard guy that's really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they give us his real name, or if, if they do, I kind of forget, but but uh, he is known later on as Mimania. It's like his little screen name on the internet because this takes place in the late 90s, which again, children in the audience, was a world in which the internet was not as huge of a part of our lives as it is nowadays, right, Maria? Right, yes. So, remind me again, how old were you in 97? Three? <laughs> <laughs> Three years old. Oh, you're you're an, you're an infant, old. my friend. Yeah, I was I was a baby. I did watch this one till honestly, it was probably like the early two thousands. I'd say it was when the first time I watched it, and then again, my second time was just recent. And I have been trying to find it, and because I remember when I watched it, I watched it with English subtitles, so it was it was all in Japanese, but with English subtitles. So I actually got to watch it recently an english version so i was able to <laughs> understand a lot more <laughs> than i did when i was a little girl in the early y2k <laughs> <laughs> so does that bother you when you have to watch something with subtitles um as a child i kind of understood a little bit of what was going on and i remember falling in love with the computer scene i just bloodiness but i was able to read the english subtitles and it doesn't really bother me i've seen eyes without a face with the subtitles and i was able to follow along and also ringu too as well i was able to follow along so it doesn't really bother me i do love hearing it in its original language i think it's really cool um, but it's it's educational in a way to also read the english version i, I would say so you can understand that language as well 
So it, it's pretty cool. It's almost as if you're watching a novella, like a Spanish soap opera with English subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in Mexico, so I had to watch movies with subtitles unless I watched them dubbed to Spanish. So that was never really a choice for me. <laughs> I had to watch it in English with subtitles with English with subtitles or dubbed to Spanish. And it depends on what it is because now that I'm older, if I watch certain things in English, I don't like them as much. Oh. Okay. For example, with The Simpsons, I I can watch it in either language in either Spanish or English, but I prefer the Spanish version. The Simpsons? Mhm, mm yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing. I've never seen an episode in Spanish. That seems really cool. The Simpsons were all the rage when I was a kid. I mean, it was the early 90s. Yeah, I remember watching it on this little TV that you would have to plug in on the in the wall, and it was black and white, the TV. It was it was a little tabletop, a table TV. And so I used to watch it right before I would go to school, and I would watch The Simpsons, and it was all black and white. <laughs> it was pretty cool <laughs> back then. <laughs> the early 90s. Or in the early 2000s, I'm sorry. <laughs> and for me, for one, it doesn't bother me to watch something in a different language. I grew up watching movies in different languages with subtitles. So it's part of who I am. I can understand why some people feel like it upsets them or whatever, but I, it doesn't really bother me. And this is one that I would encourage people to watch in the original language. Because it, it just lends itself a little better to the drama, I think. But, uh, yeah, so basically, Mariah, our movie deals with, like we mentioned, the girl, Mima, who is somewhat of a pop star in, in Japan, right? Yes. She is a member of a group called Cham, which is kind of like a Destiny's Child type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely pop. <laughs> uh, so yeah, pop and, and choreographies and I mean, but of course with the Japanese aesthetic, meaning that they have the little uniforms and the, and the dance moves and the little expressions and everything like that. So it's it's very of their culture, I would say. And we see them in a concert, and it turns out that it's her last concert because she's decided to retire from the group. But before she gets to announce that, there's a, a really creepy-looking security guard just kind of staring at her in the distance. And right off the bat, this guy just gave me bad vibes. Yeah, definitely. I was I was scared while watching him again. <laughs> <laughs> he looks really, like, his hair looks kind of greasy and his expression is like, he kind of looks like a fish or something, like a really weird face. He doesn't look human, right? Almost. It had a he had a very eerie feeling. Yeah, I feel like his face looks more like an animal than than a human. But that that might have just been me. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a concert going on, of course, and this guy he spots some people talking crap about them, the girls on stage, Cham, and also kind of throwing stuff on stage. So he gets upset, the security guard, and he goes up to them and starts attacking them. And they gang up on him, and they're beating him up. He starts bleeding. And you kind of feel sorry for the guy for a minute. A little bit, maybe. But then Mima notices that, oh, crap, something's going on in, in, over there in the audience. So she just tells everyone to stop over the mic. 
And this is when she announces, I was just trying to have a good time with you guys today because this is my last show with the group. And I wanted to announce that to you. And everyone's like, oh, oh my God, we didn't know. Why is she leaving? So, have you ever felt disappointed, Maria? Like, if you're a fan of a, of, an, of a band or something and then somebody leaves? If it's one of my favorite band members, then yeah. Like, it's not going to be the same. Or if the main... It, there's always that has happened, I think, in the past, where the main singer always goes a different way or wants to go solo. kind of happened with Dream Street with Justin McCartney. He went solo, and I remember getting all sad because I didn't think he was going to sing again. So I remember having a crush on him, and then he went solo, and I was like, yes, so getting to hear him again. <laughs> so I remember I was really sad and down in the dumps um, in the early 2000s, like getting all sad about my crush just leaving the band that I was in love with, that I fell in love with him, you know. I mean, in, in the band, and so when he went solo, um, it was incredible. And then you know he's still singing today, so I was I was really uh, excited. But yeah, we, I I as a child, I think it's heartbreaking. Oh yeah, I but I mean, some people get caught up in like that. I think some people get caught up in that, and and even as, as grownups, as adults, they start having like breakdowns because their favorite band is not going to be around anymore. For me, it happened when the Spice Girls broke up. Ah, nah. Uh-huh. <laughs> nah, so no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I was like, whoa, Chewy. You're getting really, um, you know, down here. That's, that's No, no. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I like some of their songs, but I was never really a huge fan of them. But, <laughs> but I can understand how some people feel because it's happened to me that I'm I'm a fan of a band, or whatever. And most of the fan, most of the bands that I'm a fan of, broke up before I was even able to see them. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. so, but it did happen a couple of times here and there. And it's always yeah, like you said, like heartbreaking because like, or maybe not heartbreaking, but for me it was like, oh man, come on, like, why can't just these guys work together anymore? But anyways, um. Yeah, she announces that the, the she's leaving the band because she's going to become an actor. And so she leaves the show and people were like just accosting her like, why are you leaving? Don't leave us. And you're such a good singer, this and that. So Mima gets home and then she starts doing just mundane everyday things. Like feeding for her fish, for example. Taking a nap. And then she wakes up and she's like, okay, I, got, I guess I got to start getting rid of some of this stuff. So she starts taking down her posters from the wall and basically a way of saying goodbye to her former self. So have you ever been in, in like in that kind of mood where like you're going to move somewhere maybe? Where you're going to get a new job or something like that and you kind of just do like a little self-care routine? I think so. I, I definitely have done that when, um, when I left. My home state. I got rid of everything that I had mostly, um, and also because you know money. Those <laughs> <I was laughs> moving states. Um, so yeah, so I definitely. Um, I sometimes I wish I can go back and probably save some stuff that I sold before I left, but it's okay. So yeah, having to I guess wanting to start new is always like an exciting experience. I'd say. So getting rid of like stuff from 
old you is you're just trying to reinvent yourself and yeah it's it's really sad when that happens and i'm asking you because that has bearing with the plot of the movie by the way yeah. about making big changes in your life and whether or not you are mentally and emotionally prepared to handle those changes right right so i've gone through that a couple times i mean we've moved houses a few times in my life i've lived in three different houses that are owned by my family throughout my life i am almost 40 now by the way and I've lived here in this house the longest, I want to say, because the first house I lived up, up until I was 12 years old. And then it was from 12 to like 22, 23, maybe. And then I was, I've been here in this house since 2006. So. Whoa, so more than a decade. <laughs> yeah, it's going on. Almost, almost 20 years, yeah. Almost 20 years. So, <laughs> you're right. I mean, it, it's always exciting slash sad slash... It's a, like a whirlwind of emotions because you're excited because you're, you're looking forward to the new place you're going to go to. And you're sad because, well, for one, you got to leave the place you lived in for so long. And you kind of have to leave behind the memories that you built in that place. And not only just the place, but yourself as a person. Like, the things you go through, the things you experience whether they're good or bad in your house, that stays with you. But I think part of that stays in wherever you leave, if that makes sense. I agree, completely. Uh -huh. So for example, I remember the first time that I, I, I got rejected. <laughs> <laughs> I was at a, at, a, at a school party and I asked this girl to dance with me and she said no and whatever. She was kind of mean, by the way. And <laughs> so I was okay, like the whole night I was kind of just bummed out and then I, I remember just sitting in my room listening to music all night, like just feeling like all sad and depressed. <laughs> and I don't live in that house anymore, but I have a vivid memory of that night, just me sitting in my room just listening to music and just kind of like trying to process the whole thing, right? And that stays with me, but that room has some of that energy, if that makes sense. Yeah, I can definitely feel that with rooms and just emotions that seem so historic to us whether that's a breakup or losing somebody you absolutely love and i don't know yeah i, I think I've, I've i've kind of experienced something like that but not really heartbreak but i would say um when i when my mom passed away and having to move out of the house that we grew up in and having to like smell the pillow one more time before leaving and selling everything that was really sad like just the emotions and having to say goodbye to those memories and it's it's so sad and i can't even imagine when you're so young too and going through your first heartbreak <laughs> i think i was 15 <laughs> or 16 i think when i got broken up with and i was really sad because <laughs> i played video games and then i felt better <laughs> <laughs> yeah for me it was the music that, that made me feel a lot better like just kind of see that's, that's the whole point of, of the movie too i think there are things that you go through in your life changes and you kind of go to your house because that is your space that is your your, your quote-unquote safe space in which you go and, and process things and whether they're good or bad you need to kind of go through those things 
And in my case, it was a bad thing, I guess, not dating a, a girl or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, just, just uh, going to my room and I just locked myself in there and I, that made me, like, the next day I felt better, quote-unquote. I mean, I still kind of felt sucky. But because I was able to just be in my room and just kind of soak up the music and the songs and just kind of just play guitar for a bit, um, that was like, okay. And this all has to do, once again, with the movie because that is part of, basically, the plot. It's, it's about Mima's struggle from transitioning from being a, a pop singer to being an actor. And she basically has to do, like, a complete transformation. Of herself but we, we'll get to that eventually so she's going about her day and she starts getting fan mail from people once again questioning why she left the group stuff like that she gets a, a, a note about this thing called Mima's room which once again bears with what we just talked about right now because your room is supposed to be like your refuge your sanctuary where you process everything you go through and then she gets faxes calling her a traitor because she left the band. So, kind of like a mixed bag of emotions, like positive and negative. And then we see her asking her, her manager, Rumi, what do you think this means when it comes to Mima's room? And Rumi is like, eh, don't worry about it, it's just some fan, it's whatever. So we see her now working as an actor. And it's this like, Law and Order type of show, I guess. <laughs> called Double Bind. And you see her kind of struggling with her lines. Well, her one line to begin with. She gets one line. <laughs> <laughs> and the line, significantly enough, Mariah, is, who are you? Uh. So keep that in mind for now. You out there in the audience. And we also see the weird security guard kind of just like stalking her from the shadows. So it's like, oh, okay, this guy is bad news for sure. You can tell right away. I'm going to go back to that thing I just mentioned about the, the line because it's her first day basically in her new career, her new job, new environment, new people, new everything. And that line I felt was really significant because who are you? So... Mariah, since you mentioned something very personal a little earlier, when you realize that things are different for the first time, like when, you, when it finally dawns upon you that things are going to be different from now on, how does a person feel when it comes to that? I would say it almost feels like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you question yourself as to how you're going to live afterwards after either losing somebody or moving states for a reason, uh, moving away from the only state you ever lived in all your life, and then having to transition to something bigger. But I would say um, for me, in my experience, I guess, moving out of my home state, I was excited to leave, um, not the state itself, but the city out um, because I felt like I had gone through so much trauma where I lived. So I was, I was really excited to get out of the city that hurt me. 
So that was exciting. But I feel my heart is still in my home state, even today, where I, like I said, I live in a totally different state now. So it's, it's kind of crazy. It's like, I don't know if I want to ever go back to a place where they hurt you so bad. And now that I, like, I, I don't live in either, you know, that city or the state, I feel almost like a different person in a way because I have new friends. I have a new environment. Um, I have no, I would say like no family around. And it's kind of like a new type of living that I never knew was ever possible in some way. And I, I do feel very different because I feel like the fam my family from back home don't really, or they see me so different now because I'm different now. I don't know. I, I guess it's my, maybe my way of living now. <laughs> I'm all like gory, <laughs> <laughs> or I, I think I think now I'm able to express my love fully in some way, um, and not be ashamed of liking spooky stuff. Because I feel like back home I was always, or I know it's not home anymore, but I always felt like I was being judged, and now I feel like I nobody knows me here. So <laughs> it's it's a different it's a different vibe. And I, and I love that. So, yeah, I guess I can, you can kind of like, I guess it depends on like, I guess your, your feeling, but I do feel very different from how I do feel like a different person for sure. But you're still underneath all that, the same one, right? The same person, basically, in a way. In a way, yeah. I mean, I think I'm still kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but like, I mean, I mean, even though like with everything that changes in your life, you're still you, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, definitely. You're not like a, a completely different Mariah. You're still the same one. I mean, of course, you're different because you live in a different place. And like you mentioned, you get new jobs, you meet new people that you make friendships with. But you're still you in a, in a way, right? Yes. Yeah, that's... It's, it's always gonna be i guess i feel almost like hannah montana right now <laughs> like back home i was miley stewart right now i'm hannah montana <laughs> you know what i mean yeah perfectly thank you for yeah. putting that picture in my way my friend yeah you know it's funny because i have that blonde wig so <laughs> so I do feel like Hannah Montana in some ways. Are you wearing it now? <laughs> yeah. The no, wig? no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, you know, but like when I do um, any like spooky stuff, I always have my blonde wig because I always feel like oh, okay, a yeah. spooky Hannah Montana. But in reality, <laughs> I'm Miley Stewart, you know. <laughs> I thought you were wearing it now. I was like, wow, you're really going all out for the podcast now, all right? <laughs> for the podcast? <laughs> We're having a psychological episode right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh my. Like, what was, that, yeah. what was that movie? Uh, that meme? It wasn't meme. It was Patricia. <laughs> From uh, Split, right? Split. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That so... has me crying in tears. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I definitely, I, I still feel myself in, inside <laughs> and outside, but yeah. I'm going to talk a little bit about my, my experiences, and before we bore the audience, yeah, we're going to come back to the movie, but 
this all has to do with what the character in the movie goes through because it's it's all part of it and it's something that we all go through i think at some point in our lives we all go through changes positive and negative and we all have our difficulties our own struggles dealing with them so me for example the first huge change in my life is when i moved over here from mexico because oh, yes a different country all together so I, I moved here with my dad's sister and it was literally just across the border i i my home city is literally across the river from where i live in right now so geographically it's not very far the only thing is that there's always a huge line to go back and forth but geographically I mean, if there wasn't a line i'd be back in my home city in like 20 30 minutes right Oh, wow. Yeah. So the first huge change for me was when I left all my friends over there. I left all my things that I knew, my routine, my TV shows, everything. And I came over here. Brand new environment, different language, culture shock. So that was an experience. <laughs> and I didn't know how if I mean, I knew that I had to learn English quickly because that was the only way I was going to survive. That's the way that I saw it, like a survival mode thing. Like, oh, I mean, I need to learn English because otherwise I'm not going to survive here. And so I did. And, and, you know, long story short, now I'm here making a podcast. It's almost 30 years later. I moved here in 1994, by the way. Oh, right when I was born. Uh -huh. <laughs> So as I was, <laughs> as you were getting born, Mariah, I was moving over here, so. That is so cool. <laughs> uh -huh. So, yeah, I mean, this all bears again with the movie because we have Mima going through all this huge transition. And we have her agent, Mr. Taloroko, basically arguing with Rumi because Rumi is not okay with the fact that she is now an actor. That Mima is an actor now. And... Tadoroko is like, no, this is going to be good for her. She's going to get more famous. And we just need to, to talk these guys into giving her more lines because that is how she's going to be successful. So they're arguing back and forth. And then he goes up to the people that make the show. And he's talking to them. And then somebody hands him a letter that's addressed to, to Mima. And he opens the letter and it just blows up in his face. So I was like, whoa, when I, when, I, when I first saw that, I was like, did someone just kill this guy? And it turned out to be just like a firecracker, right? Yes, but I can't even imagine getting a fan mail like that. I would, I would cry. <laughs> Thankfully, I haven't gotten one yet. <laughs> As of yet. <laughs> that was like that. Hopefully never, my friend, because that is definitely the dark side of fame, is it not? Yes, completely. So the next scene, the couple scenes, is that we see Rumi helping Mima logging into that website because Mima has questions. It's like, well, what is this? Why is this even up in the... What is the internet? Who am I? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so she has all these live person questions. And again, this is the 90s. So like people in the audience need to bear in mind that, especially the, young, the younger people in the audience, that there was a time in which the internet was not a big part of our lives. It was barely kind of starting to creep in. And this is right about the time, the late 90s. 
Yes, this was the early stages of where it was actually available for the public in the early stages. Yes, so she actually asks Rumi for help in going into the website, logging in. They have to enter their credit card for some reason, which to me is a red flag already. <laughs> <laughs> but they do it, and they find this kind of like fan site for her called Mima's Room. And at first she thinks it's kind of cute. Like, oh, look, so many pictures of me and so many things about me. And, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome, that's cute. But then they start reading the entries in the so-called diary. And the more she reads, the more freaked out she gets because they're getting more and more detailed about her own emotions, about what she does, her activities. So that's going to be really freaky, no? Yes, I can't even imagine. Like today I was out um, and I can't even imagine if I did have a fan stalking or something. And like, oh yeah, Mariah was here at this place eating a salad. <laughs> chicken salad at this time and then have it time stamped i would i would freak out <laughs> can you imagine like and i'm sure no, i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure there are celebrities like, celebrities in real life that go through something similar to this don't you think yes absolutely i that that is scary and um, you see it all the time happen um, on the news with celebrities and, and also close my mind is when they get into the house that is crazy oh yeah uh, that's really sad yeah so I mean and even with just regular people I mean sometimes someone gets obsessed with somebody else and they just stalk them and they follow them around keep track of their movements and this is that that it gets really weird <laughs> especially nowadays with online dating and stuff like that Oh, yes. I'm on Tinder. <laughs> I'm on Tinder. I, I don't use it very often. And when I do, I try, I try to be kind of careful with it. Yeah. Because you never I, know. I, I used to do that back in my 20s. I was on OkCupid. Oh, yeah. I've been on that one, too. Yeah. Yeah, that one was <laughs> really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I actually met a couple of nice ladies on there. Yes, I it was I I never went on on Tinder. I was gonna say Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> on Tinder, I know ne I never went on t Tinder. Only on OkCupid, and actually, I actually met amazing people on OkCupid, like in person. Like they were sweet, kind, and not like Moco Space. That was another one. That was a weird one. <laughs> remember that one that was a weird one yeah that was the, that was the original <laughs> and tinder. plenty of fish um and i i can't remember other oh yeah ah moco space was like the weird one that one was i remember getting so many messages and they were like weird yeah and, like send me pics and i would block them <laughs> yeah that was uh, the original tinder the, the ratchet one i guess we can call it <laughs> <laughs> Very different, yeah. Mo Moco space, mm. yeah. I yeah, do anyways, that, yeah. online dating that's yeah, I can't even imagine. And I've heard so many horror stories about online dating. I think I've had people actually obsessed after meeting them in person. 
and so that was a little scary for me so yeah so yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make a little parenthesis here and recommend to anyone that meets anyone on online dating to meet in a public place that's very yes lit up that's got a lot of people in there and with a lot of people yeah. yeah and i would say and call your like let somebody know like hey yeah. friend or mom or dad or sister or brother or like a friend be like hey i'm gonna meet this person here's my location by the way <laughs> so i think that's that's very important and kind of like establish a plan for yourself like hey you know i'll be there having dinner with this person from eight to nine or ten whatever then maybe we'll go to a bar from this, this time to this time and then after that i'll go home whatever and, and kind of just let people know that that's going to be your your plan i mean of course you can change that but i would say try to have some sort of itinerary for yourself it's it's very different now i mean oh not now but it's it probably always has been but it is good and a lot of people don't do that with safety procedures and i, I think that's so scary like oh you just you just you know always always need to just be aware of everything. Yeah, because the last thing you need is somebody like this crazy person making a website about yourself and with pictures of yourself yes. and diary entries about how your day goes and, and know every little last detail of your life. Hi. <laughs> so, going back to the movie here, um, they have a, a, a scene they're filming, which is about a crime scene. And there's more back talk between Rumi and Mr. Tadoroko about whether Mima's career path is worth it because she gave up her singing dream and now she's in this new career starting from scratch with one line in a show. So would you figure, Mariah, that for someone to make a change like that, they would maybe go on to something that's a little bit bigger and better? rather than down that's i would say so but maybe this is probably getting her feet wet in the water i'd say just trying to get like a head start or get familiar but yes i would hope that it would lead hopefully to bigger rows but you do probably want to start as a bigger row maybe I would imagine that that if someone's gonna make a change like that, they would. I mean, maybe not a, a starring role right off the bat, but at least something that's a little bit more prominent, a little bit more lines <laughs> than just "Who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's all going on behind the scenes. I mean, she, Rumi's trying to maybe make sense out of her decision, out of Mima's decision of leaving her singing career, and so Mima is on a train. And she's going home, and then she realizes, oh wait, somebody could be watching me now. So she freaks out, she kind of runs from the station all the way to her, to her apartment. Because she feels she can't trust anyone now. Maybe someone's out there watching her, following her. So she starts getting freaked out. And then she gets back home. And she sees this, like on a bulletin board an article or a poster about this guy that was hit or, or that was involved in a hit and run rather and it turns out to be if you pay attention Mariah one of the fans in the concert like the first scene it's one of those dudes the ones that were throwing stuff at her 
Yeah. Did you catch that? Yes, I did. And that was freaky. Because he got... Was he missing or murdered? I think it was a hit and run, so... I don't hit and run, yeah, so probably... Yeah, murdered, murdered. yeah. Yeah. But to top things off, my friend, we see the creepy security guard in the elevator. Kind of just giving her a weird mm -hmm. smile. <laughs> It's always the smiles. <laughs> it's like, oh my, that's so creepy. Yeah, I smile a lot. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told, Maria, this, uh, right, uh, just a little uh, show off parentheses, ah. <laughs> that my smile is one of my best qualities. And I, so I've been trying to smile a lot more lately. Oh, that's so good. I always hate when I smile because I have such a cheesy. And you know when you smile, how your nose gets like up? Or something, mm -hmm. yeah. or sometimes, and I feel like mine kind of does, and it and makes my like lips look kind of weird for some reason <laughs> <laughs> when I'm laughing or smiling. Like they don't look big anymore; they look thin. And I'm um. like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have dimples. I, I think that's why. Yeah. Oh, that is that's pretty. I always got jelly jelly with people. With dimples. <laughs> I, was, I have pimples, so <laughs> I had those too. But I have dimples and. Uh, Apparently people, or the girls, women, like that, and the guys, so that's kind of a plus for me. But anyways, <laughs> back to the movie here. We see Mima running into her old bandmates, and they kind of just catch up for a minute here and there. And, oh, we're, like, we're so glad you're doing so good, and, and how's the acting career, this and that. And Mima finds out that their latest song finally cracked the top 100, which had never happened when she was part of the group. So how do you think she felt about that? I would feel depressed. Why? Because she wasn't there to get to celebrate with them. And just seeing the, I guess that energy and hard work pay off in some way. So I don't, I think for me, I would be definitely sad and feel like I missed out on experiencing something amazing. So, yeah, I mean, just, just kind of backtracking here for a minute. She left the group because she thought she was going to start a promising acting career. She left the, the group for a show in which she has one line so far. And now her former bandmates are now breaking the charts. So to speak, I mean, we're not breaking the charts, but they're like like going up, right? Because they're like in I think in 85th place or something, which is still not bad. I mean, it's not bad, but it's 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 definitely a jump from the time that she was part of the group. So I agree with you. I think she would definitely be kind of like, did I do the the right thing here? Doing a double take about her decision. So then we see Mr. Taloroko, the the agent. Telling them that, hey, uh, I got you more scenes, Mima, but uh, there's kind of a thing here. One of them is a an assault scene. Let's call it that. I don't want to use that word. But one of them is an assault scene, and, well, that's how your career is going to take off, basically. And Rumi gets really upset, the manager. She's like, no, there's no way she's going to do this. Like, what's going to happen to her career? Like, she's going to throw away her, her image. And 
me minus like no it's okay i'll do it it's not real it's acting so it's part of it i'll get i'll, I'll do it i'll get through it and as she goes home she's sitting in the train and she sees her reflection in the mirror in the in the glass in the window and the reflection tells her you're gonna mess your life up stop and she freaks out right so do you think she agreed to that change in her career to that those kinds of scenes because her friends were already kind of on the way up in the music charts i think so probably i would i don't want to say peer pressure but probably pressured to want to succeed and see where this could lead to and more rose and also wanting to feel like you're doing this for the right reasons your decision to leave the group and the acting to hopefully unfold and yeah so yeah it's it's getting to that kind of point where she's like mm, i guess if they're doing good then maybe i should do something a little bit more risque a little bit more adult-like to get my acting career on track so they show how the scene's gonna work i mean the the kind of like the behind the scenes type of stuff and it's gonna be basically her playing an exotic dancer on a stage and then at some point the people in the scene get rowdy and they take advantage of her right and there's parts in this in this scene in which the, you, you kind of they're acting it and it looks real like she's really going through she's crying she's really like screaming and then you hear cut and everyone just freezes in place and then it's like okay more lights over here this and that whatever okay go take th take three whatever and then the scene keeps going and it just looks like it's taking a toll on her like just and then like, stop and then okay and then take four whatever to go keep going more of this more of that less lights more of that and at some point i think she actually gets out of that whole thing by picturing herself on stage singing yes i bet it was more of the blocking out and trying to imagine something happier that wasn't as severely affecting her because it can I, I can imagine or what are they called method actors i think where they get really into their role and sometimes those roles are really scary oh yeah no method actors are crazy like they actually go all out they, like if they play for example like cowboy they actually go to a ranch and live in a ranch and like <laughs> not shower for days on end and like <laughs> they go all out for that yeah. Now, in her case, I think, I, I, I agree with you that she's kind of trying to go to a happier place, maybe use the lights in the stage in the where they're shooting the scene and pretend there's the lights on the stage in the concert. And then the screaming of everyone in the room with her, it's her screaming fans when she was singing. Because that made her feel good. Versus where she's at right now, because even though it's fake, it's acting, it's not really happening to her. It's still affecting her in a way, I think. 
So now I want to ask you this. I want, I want to I make another parenthesis in the, <laughs> the, the, the endless uh, stream of them in this episode, Mariah. But this made me think of celebrities in real life. Of people who grow up basically in the public eye. And that at some point they or somebody makes a choice for them to do something a little bit more different with their image, with their career. And the first person, let me see if you can guess who it is, that I thought of, who was it? Kim Kardashian. Not quite. No. I, I was. <laughs> that was that was my first thought of me. But yes, no, no. She's one of them that definitely. I mean, she did all these surgeries and stuff like that. But I was thinking of somebody maybe like Britney Spears. Britney, yeah, that was my second guess actually. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Because here's somebody who was a teenager. She was like 17, 18 years old, and she broke up, or sorry, when she broke out, rather. <laughs> she broke my heart, Anne. Now, <laughs> when she broke out with her one more time baby one more time song yes and so she was a child she was a teenager still and then of course as her career went on you you, you have all those videos and pictures of her like for example when she shaved her head and she kind of had a breakdown in public and basically all the things that have been going on with her life and i don't need to pick on her by the way because this is not something you get to make fun of but i was like wow This movie kind of made me think about that because there's a lot of stuff we don't see behind the scenes, behind the cameras, behind the flashes, behind the smiles. So, can you imagine how that must be for someone, like, to be a child, basically, and since you're a kid, have someone tell you what to do 24-7 and how to do it, and you can't and escape? Then, and then not having to control of your own life. Exactly. And make decisions for you. Because I think in... A lot of these documentaries that she's done, she's actually said about how her family controlled like her finances and stuff, and she didn't really have freedom to do. And then also the paparazzi too, just after her, um, kind of almost as an obsession fan per se, um, and how that can really take a toll on someone's um health even i would i don't know i don't know what i would do it's it's a really hard thing i think when you're in the public eye and not really having a say that's that's really sad wasn't it like last year when she finally like got her independence from her dad or something yes Yeah, she, I think, fought in court and yeah. she was able to take back and take back control of her finances. And to me, I mean, just hearing that clip and everything, um, I was following the story along and she, she seemed like she can take control of her finances. And, um, and then, of course, having a judge and a jury or whatever, um, just help along that way uh was definitely uh huge i remember to leave britney alone in the early youtube days oh yeah but i yeah and um that was that i guess that's probably probably one of our earlier earliest um online 
Yeah, like viral and things. Get to see, yes, when it came to celebrity, um, I, I would, I don't want to say celebrity meltdown, but like a celebrity actually having, you know, sadness, and because of everything that she was going through. So yeah, that was that was definitely huge, huge, huge thing um, that we can definitely see in Mima um, as the movie unfolds. Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking she might feel like she can't make her own decisions. She can't control her life. She can't control her career anymore because now she's having this guy, Mr. Taloroko, telling her, well, I talked these guys into letting you have more scenes, but this is the kind of scene you're going to do. So, and then for her to agree to that, it, it's... You see her in the next couple scenes, actually. That she comes home. And she's trying to feed her fish, but the, the fish are dead. So she goes into this fit and she has a crisis. Starts kind of breaking stuff in her room. And then she breaks down herself because she's like, I didn't want to do that. That's not what I want to do in my life. Meeting the scenes, right, in, in the show. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's why I immediately thought of someone like Britney Spears, for example, because I think she must have had something similar going on in her mind throughout her whole life, where she wasn't allowed to do certain things, where she had to dress a certain way, she had to talk a certain way. Yeah, that reminds me of that music video she did called Lucky, where... She, where... She's this pop princess, but at nighttime she's crying herself to sleep and having, you know. Yeah, so a song like that, for example, that video, how much more does that resonate now that we know the truth about her? Ugh, that just, it gave me chills. I'm <laughs> just thinking back and thinking, wow, and how everyone didn't really absorb that as, hey, this is actually real mm -hmm. this this can happen to anyone um and just the severity of it is it's really sad and then with Mima for example she, we see her still trying to log into that website and reading stuff about her own life in a different voice like somebody's writing about her own life how freaky is that yes and it reminds me also too of people I think even on Instagram when they make um profiles of other people found almost like catfish yeah oh like, yeah just r duplicates of other people and they're trying to be this person and then they're showing different kinds of pictures and you're like whoa that's not them <laughs> 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 yeah that's what this kind of reminds me of of this scene um of her because it seems like whoever is posting is is lying pretending to be her in her voice yeah so that is really and it's totally different it's definitely what a lot of people go through with um, a lot of followers and stuff or who do some type of content and then there's a duplicate of the fake trying to portray you as somebody different and trying to pretend it's you that's that's really scary definitely and then in her case for example it's even scarier because 
the things written on the on that web page are all true. But she's not the one who's writing them. But I mean, it's not just things about her her dressing or, or, or rather the way she dresses or whatever. It's about her life. Like like you said earlier, like, oh, today I went to this restaurant and I had a steak with lobster. That's kind of what she's seeing on that web on the web page. Yeah. So she's freaking out and she's like starting to lose track of who she really is, I guess. Because she starts hallucinating herself as a, as a pop singer again with the clothes and everything. And this image of herself is mean to her. Telling her things like, nobody likes you anymore. You're dirty. You're filthy. What are you doing with your life? Who are you? So it's definitely her questioning her own decisions, her life, her own reality. And it's going to be really, really tough to go through, I think. So then we see that the screenwriter of the show is stalked by someone in an elevator, or rather in a parking lot. And he gets kind of cornered into this elevator where music is playing. And then somebody stabs him or whatever because his blood is smeared all over the wall in the elevator his eyes are not there anymore <laughs> yeah. and it's apparently all because he was forcing Mima to do adult scenes so this is where the movie starts getting a little bit more graphic as far as the gore goes yeah very <laughs> much to your enjoyment my friend yeah <laughs> it was it was it, it, it for anime this is very brutal mm-hmm. on the gory scene even though i i know there's definitely a lot more um japanese for but for anime this is this is wow this is this for the time, 90s, yeah. So we have more going on than just psychological stuff. Now we have actual violence going on, like physical violence, graphic violence. And then we see Mima's bandmates and you would think that they were friends to her, but we see them talking about her behind her back. Uh, oh yeah, she's gonna go do pictures with this guy, and I heard this guy's a real creep. But she's probably gonna like it, and this and that, whatever. He's known for making his models take off all their clothes, and this and that, whatever. And then we see Mima taking part in this really risque photo shoot. And the guy's kind of sleazy, he's like, oh yeah, take your top off, baby, whatever. And it's like, oh, it's uncomfortable to watch, kind of. So... She is once again doing stuff that's not what she would have thought she was going to be doing when she left the band. So it's all building up on her, I would say. What do you think? Yes, it's, it's, it, I feel like every time you go through a traumatic experience and don't really process anything or you can't you can't process and cry because you're constantly working 
Um, it's it's bound to get unfolded. And this, where he's um, taking photos of her, the photographer, that one also, too, actually reminded me of the Rolling Stone of Brittany with the Teletubby. And it was like um, like a phone call or something. Yeah, and that was, that was after Baby One More Time. So, yeah, it's, I can't even imagine, um, psychologically, the, all the craziness that goes behind the scenes and having to deal with all of that and not really having anyone to, to kind of trust. Because at this point, I feel like she doesn't have anyone to trust. They don't ever mention her family, do they? No. In the entire movie, they never mention her parents no. or siblings or anything like that, right? Nope. It almost feels like she's out um, by herself. So, yeah, this, this girl really has nobody. I mean, her manager's kind of trying to look out for her a little bit. But she really can't do it's anything. Not the greatest. Yeah, I mean, she really can't do anything if Mima's agreeing to do all these things. And even I would picture that sometimes, even if you don't agree with certain things, you still have to do them. If you have a contract signed or if you have some sort of agreement, like a business agreement with someone. So that's got to suck for someone that's trying to push their career forward and you come across people like hey yeah you know I'll give you a a role in my movie but you gotta take off all your clothes or I'll give you this but you gotta do this for me in modern times we hear how stuff like the whole me too movement type of thing oh yes about Hollywood. things that happened for so long and I, I imagine they still happen by the way which is terrible and I think with as much as we heard, we probably have not even heard or, or touched the tip of the iceberg on this. And that's sad, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I know, it sounds really brutal so far, and it's only going to get worse brutal. Psychologically and mentally, probably. And when it comes to that, I mean, thankfully, we've seen some people go to jail already, but, um, you know, I don't think it's all of them. And, and well, going back to the movie here for a minute before we get too dark, we see the security guard once again, who now becomes known as Mimania. That is his screen name. So he's, like, hallucinating about Mima in a concert, and he's kind of just picturing her, picturing her in his mind with her little uniform from the group, whatever. He finds out about this magazine that she's going to be in with those racy pictures. And then you see him in his apartment and he buys like a whole bunch of them. He bought like a hundred magazines. I don't know if he had the money from that or that, but I think he was trying to keep other people from seeing her pictures. Which wouldn't happen nowadays. I mean, today would be impossible. Oh, yeah. Once something hits online, it's 
shirts there probably permanently. But I think the idea for him was like, well, I'll just buy all these copies so that no other guys can see her the way that I see her here. So he logs into the website and he's reading the entries and then he's like, you know what? Somebody's emailing him about how Mima is no longer herself. She's an imposter. She's fake. So now he has to kill her because that's the only way in which the real Mima can still talk to him. So someone's tricking him, right? Yes, that is crazy. So what do you think when that was revealed? I first I thought it was him doing that and he didn't remember or he or he had a I guess I hate using this Hannah Montana um, reference, but um, I was thinking that's what he was going through, probably having a like maybe he had sent it. So I, at this point, I was kind of confused a little bit. Yeah, but I see what you're saying though. Like you, you, you thought it was him writing to himself, but from her point of view. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important to pay to really close attention to this movie because it will even have you thinking twice, like, what? What, what happened to me? And that's what I did. I, I, did, I did rewind it a couple of times because I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Because <laughs> I, I was definitely confused at first. But, yeah. Yeah, because a lot happens in a very small amount of time. And if you blink, like I said earlier, for too long... <laughs> you might have missed a detail like this in the movie. So, he decides, yeah, you know what, I'm going to kill this girl because she. there's no way she's the real one because she's doing all these things that are so out of character for her. So, somebody actually writes to this guy pretending to be the real Mima, telling him, it's not me, somebody's taking my appearance and somebody's catfishing people because... I would never do that. I would never appear in a movie naked. I would never appear in a magazine naked. So you need to find the one that's my the imposter and get rid of her for me. So, wow. <laughs> so much going on in this movie. So, we go back to Mima, who is filming more scenes for the show. And then you kind of see her spotting the security guard in the crowd. And he looks really creepy and shady with his hair covering his face and everything. And she freaks out, but then she also sees her former self, the, the pop singer self. And she runs after her. Yeah. Oh, that was that it gave me chills. Then we see her we see her getting hit by a car but then she wakes up and it's actually a nightmare so I wanted to finish that thought before I let you speak my friend because I felt that was important but you were saying that gave you chills yes I at first um, when I was seeing this happen um, I definitely had to it was it was crazy because during those few seconds I was I kept rewinding to completely fully understand what was going on and then I was really happy after but then again with the nightmare it was like 
well, what was a nightmare? (laughs) (laughs) So that had me questioning too. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just like psychologically herself trying to go back to the way she was before, in a way. Like her missing her former lifestyle, her former career. Because maybe things have not been as good as they thought, as she thought they were going to be for her so far. So I think, me personally, giving my, my opinion as a psychology major, Mariah, ah, <laughs> in college, uh, that maybe she was just, yeah, like, yearning for that. Oh, man, maybe I, I'm pretty sure I made a bad decision. I wish I could go back to the way that I was before. That's just me guessing, right? Would you agree with that or no? Oh, definitely. You can disagree, you know. Don't don't be afraid. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> so, like you mentioned a little earlier, that you went through a lot of stuff in your former place of residence, and that maybe you would never go back. I think me, for example, I always felt like if things weren't as bad as they are in Mexico, I'd be living over there right now. I would want to go back to where I was from and live there. I can't because things are super crazy and people are getting robbed and kidnapped and stuff like that, unfortunately. But I do feel like part of me would want to be over there. I don't know why that is. I mean, I just have this yearning for for every time that I visit, I don't want to come back. Aww. I think that's, that's how I feel when I visit Texas. Just, just the state, not where I was born and raised. But every time I'm in Texas, I feel at home. Like, this is my home. It's weird. It's a weird, you feel yourself. You feel like this is a part of you that you're so familiar with. And it makes you super happy because you just, Probably. And also that too, I mind you, I also have really great memories, um, like in Corpus Christi, um, surrounding areas in South Texas, so, and also North Texas too, so I, anywhere, um, it, it feels so good in my heart, and it's such a crazy good feeling i don't know that's weird but yeah it definitely feels like home to you and i understand you because i feel the same way like when i visit my home city for example when i i've gone to visit the place where my mom is from and i've only been there maybe like four times in my life it's a nice little town it's in the middle of the middle of the mountains it's small there's maybe a thousand people there Maybe a little bit more than that. But um, it's nice. I I don't want to come back when I go. And I've been to other places in Mexico where I have other family. And it's the same thing. And I don't want to come back because I feel like it's me. Like, I'm Mexican. Like, I'm I'm never going to stop being a Mexican no matter where I go to. And there's a part of me that's always going to yearn for who I was or back home, like you said. So, and it's... Not because I hate my life or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes you think, well, maybe I could have done a little better for myself. I think all of us go through that at some point. But 
it's just that that's where you're from, who you are. And I think a lot of us, if not all of us, always kind of yearn for something in our past. And that's what's going on with her, I think, in, in, in that scene that she's kind of like, oh man, like I wish I could just go back and, and never have done any of this stuff that I did. So it's difficult, you know, it's difficult when you have thoughts like that and it's like, oh man, you know, like I wish I hadn't done that and I wish I could go back, but you can't. <laughs> you can't change life, but you can change how you feel about it. So speaking of feelings, she starts to talk about her emotions to Rumi and how she's not able to tell what is real and not real anymore. She's asking like, is this real? Is, is this reality? Am I alive? Kind of, so to speak. And she actually goes as far as cutting herself by crushing, it was like a cup or a glass, right? Yeah, I remember that. So she crushes that in her hands, or with her hands. And then she asks Rumi, my blood is real, right? So how overwhelmed must you feel? That is so bizarre to think you're dreaming almost. Like, Ken, is this real? I don't know. Kind of like a pinch me moment. I don't think there's ever been a point in my life in which I felt so outside of myself that I'm like, am I, I mean, of course I've questioned like, is my life real? <laughs> but that's a whole different story. But I mean, in the context of being in a place of emotional distress or anxiety and finding myself so outside of myself <laughs> to the point that I question like, am I really real? Like, am I really feeling all these things? Have you? Yes, a couple of times. I, I would probably say, of course, um, where where I am now in my life, it's it's kind of like a pinch me moment because I would have never thought I would ever have a house. <laughs> um, and then also having like um, just a, a, a different a different life that I always dreamed of since I was a little girl. So it is wild to think, wow, did I, did I make this happen in life? Because <laughs> I, I wrote it down, I remember always writing it down in my diary, just saying like everything I wanted. Um, and I, yeah, I even tweeted it too, like when I was 14 or whatever, and I remember writing like, um, I hope to live in a different state where nobody knows me. <laughs> and hey, I'm in a state now, nobody knows me. So it is, it is really weird. Um, and then also too, when something traumatic happens where you question yourself, like, did this really happen? And I guess that's also a form of PTSD. Also, I guess when you go through something super traumatic and little triggers um, happen and, and I, that can definitely happen where, where you feel so outside looking in, I think, in a psychological way. <laughs> like, I don't know, am I, am I really here? Is this okay? Is this safe? Or is this not? Is this danger? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's all kinds of different emotions. 
-hmm. Yeah, because some people deal with that kind of stuff in, in that kind of way. They kind of just detach themselves for a minute or for a long time, depending on, on how severe it might be. Um, but going back to the movie here for a bit, the next scene shows us the photographer. He's kind of just sitting at home. He decides to order a pizza. And the pizza gets there. And he's like, huh, you look kind of weird to the pizza delivery person. <laughs> who then proceeds to stab him in the eye with a knife with a nice pick. <laughs> that was so, wow. That scene. Gory scene. Not super gory, but it's it's brutal. Well <laughs> maybe not that part of it, but the next scene, yeah, because he's getting stabbed like fifty times with an ice pick, so <laughs> that wasn't gory enough for you? <laughs> I, I feel like I've seen more Japanese horror that's way gorier than this. So yeah, I guess I guess I'm trying to compare it <laughs> to something that's actually really gory. <laughs> so, but for anime, this is good. This is really good. So, on a scale of zero to ten, how gory is this for you? I I would give it like a I I would give it a seven. Okay, this this one scene this one scene specifically, my friend, mind you. A one, a four. A four, okay. A four out of like a ten being the best. Yeah, just for this one scene, though, right? Yes. Okay. This one scene, yes. This would have been like a seven for me, for sure. For just this one wow. scene, because it, it's it's. I yeah. mean, it is to me, it is pretty gory. I mean, of course, it's not real gore; it's animated gore, but still, it's kind of graphic. I think. So, but the important thing in all this, my friend, is not how gory it is, but the person that's doing the killing, because it looks like Mima for a minute. You got, you kind of get to see the, the, the side of their face for, for a couple seconds. And it looks like Mima, especially because there's a, the TV projecting on the wall, whatever, where you see Mima, like the face of the real Mima, and then you see the mm -hmm. person that's doing the killing that kind of looks like her a bit. So it's like, oh, is that really her? So is she the one doing the killings? Did you question yourself that at this point? Yes, I did. Because of the fact that she had a nightmare. And so when we got to that nightmare scene, I just kept thinking, okay, what was the dream? <laughs> um, and it makes me question a different scene so i i really all of this honestly didn't really wrap up until the end so it was really confusing watching it as an adult <laughs> <So> <laughs> i remember watching it when i was a little girl and not really understanding the extreme concept of this film <laughs> I was like, oh, look, blood. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it was really, it's, it's so good on the writing and everything that happens. Cause this is, this is real life stuff that has happened in real life. So that's even scarier. Um, but seeing it in anime in a Japanese way, that's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's, wow it's it's crazy but yeah i did think at one point that it was her having a um what is it called i guess like a personality almost like that movie split 
Um, so that's what I thought she had. It was Nima. And so she was doing the killing. So yeah, I, I did think she was like the guy from Split at first. The next morning she wakes up and she finds, or actually she gets the news rather of the death of the photographer. She is understandably freaked out. But then she gets even more freaked out by the fact that she finds bloodstained clothing in her closet. So then she obviously starts questioning, like, did I do this? Or how, does, how did this stuff get here? Am I responsible for this guy's death? So then she calls Rumi and she has another, another crisis with her. And the worst is that in the show that she's working for, she has to now shoot a murder scene. And it looks like she passes out, right? She's like, she just kind of just faints for a minute. I think so, yeah. And then we see, this is where it starts getting a little bit more confusing. So we're like, <laughs> like part of this is speculation and part of this is what actually happens in the movie. <laughs> but <laughs> the movie inside the movie or the the show rather yeah. but <laughs> so we see how they they kind of finish the last scene in the show and they talk about how oh yeah it's because she pictured everything in her mind and she's not really a singer she never was a singer she's just a person who went through went through something traumatic in her life and that is why she became a killer, but it's because she has DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder, Mariah. Which is what the new name for split personality is. Oh, okay. Uh-huh, so I don't know how familiar you are, but I mean, I'm not an expert, mind you, because I did major in psychology, but I, I'm not an expert. There's a book called The DSM which I think it's now in its, in its fifth edition. When I was in college, it was in, in, in the fourth edition. But I think it is now called the DSM-5, which is the book in which basically every major psychological and psychiatric condition is described in. So a while back, they decided to rename split personality disorder into DID. So every now and then they update their stuff and that is where they they got this from. So then we see Rumi asking about Mima's next role to Mr. Tadaroko. And he says, yeah, it's, it's going to be more adult-like, it's going to be more risque scenes, more sexualized, stuff like that. And she's upset about this. Because instead of maybe putting her career in a different path, it's instead going to go into more extreme of what we have seen already. So the next scene we see the security guard, Mimania, kidnapping Mima and trying to kill her. And he's telling her, yeah, no, I'm going to kill you because you're not the real Mima. The real Mima would never do this, so how did that make you feel? Very 
sad. As you can totally see, this is Mima at this scene. And I just thought, oh no, this guy definitely believes there's another person that looks just like her or something that she's an imposter or what is going on um, in his mind, I would say. And that, that those were like my first reactions is this, oh no, can he not see? Or maybe he's also blocking her face out and thinking he's seeing somebody else or something. I thought too. So I was, I was really sad for Mima. This guy definitely has issues of his own to deal with. Somehow he's become convinced that Mima is not Mima. And then with the help of the anonymous person, the blogger, writing about her and writing to him to kill Mima because that's not what I would do. She's fake. Kill her for me. Kind of thing. So they have a fight. Or a chase, rather. He's chasing her through the stage in which she recorded the show. And then she finds this hammer and she whacks him in the head with it. And I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> For a minute. She just hits him in the head with a hammer and he's like, Ow! And he just like walks away. <laughs> and then he just falls and kind of just passes out. But then the confusing part is when she sees the people cheering her. To me, that was like, was that part of the show? <laughs> yes, it has you thinking all sorts of ideas, what is going on. And that's why I love this movie so much. It happened on a roller coaster. And if you're listening in the audience and you're confused, that's why we told you, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> pay attention because if you missed one of these details, like, you're done for. You gotta go back and... Listen to the episode again and watch the movie again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Rumi finds her and she is like, yeah, you know what? I'll take care of you. Come here. What happened? And so Mima's just kind of sitting in the car and Rumi's like, don't worry. I'll take you back to Mima's room. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of weird because she could have just said, I'll take you home or I'll take you to my place, for instance, so you can get some rest but that that is very important she says i'll take you back to mima's room so then mima wakes up and it looks like her bedroom but it looks like her bedroom before she made any changes <laughs> so before she left the band before she got a, a, a job as an actor her stuff is still up as far as the music. Her posters are still up. Her fish are alive and healthy. So she decides to call her manager, or not the manager, but her agent, Padoroko. And we see him dead in a closet. <laughs> yes, that was so scary. Yeah, we see him dead in the closet, and I'm, I'm laughing because it's, it's creepy, not because it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it is really creepy, what's going on. So we see him dead, and then right next to him is a security guard, too. The one that was sent to kill Mima. 
is dead in the same place that the agent is dead. So, double the creep factor. And then Nima goes to the window. And she realizes, hey, this is not my room. This is not the view from my room. Where am I? So, can you imagine how somebody was able to duplicate her room? And make her think that she was actually back home? That is crazy. I can't even imagine if somebody would, you know, redo my dollhouse. That's <laughs> the way do it exactly how I would do it. I would definitely be freaking out. Like, whoa, this is not my room. I was going to ask you, how would that make you feel? You you woke up in a place and it looks like your room, but then you walk out and it's not your house? <laughs> like, I would cry. I'd be like, oh no. Because, wow. Wow, that's all, that's all that I can say, just wow. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a what? And a wow type of feeling when you get Yeah. I have no more words for that, to be honest. <laughs> so, Rumi comes out and she's revealed to be the real murderer. Basically, she confesses that she's trying to protect Mima's image by keeping things the way they used to be and so there is a very gruesome chase scene they kind of Rumi sorry tries to stab Mima and she jumps out the window and Mima jumps or, or sorry Rumi <laughs> see I'm confused <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so Rumi jumps right after her into the city she chases her down the alleys and the streets and it's all dark and everything. She stabs her a couple times. So Mima is bleeding and in pain by now. And she kind of corners her in this alley. And Mima is able to take off the wig off her head, of Rumi's head. And that is when Rumi just loses it, right? That... Ugh. I, that also, too, gave me Leatherface, too, or something. I don't know. Or Jason, like, removing the mask. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was more kind of like Michael Myers, because when you take off the mask from oh, Michael Myers, he true. freaks out a little bit. Yeah, he freaks out. Yeah. So, no, but you're right, though. That's like Leatherface and Jason, too. Yo, that would get me mad. <laughs> Somebody tried to take off my mask. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Jason likes to show his face though in a couple of movies. Yes. I think it was part three that at some point he actually takes off his mask himself for a minute. So he's a little weird, <laughs> but that is why I like Jason so much. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> Ruby like freaks out at the fact that she's not wearing the wig anymore, but then she puts it back on. And she's like, "Oh, back to normal." Which, no, it's mm. not normal. <laughs> it's not, it's definitely not normal. But by this point, she's standing in the middle of the street. And she sees a car approaching. And she kind of just opens her arms and is like, oh, yes, I'm on stage, I'm famous. <laughs> and then Mima is like, no, crazy woman. So she like tackles her out of the way. 
But by this point, they're both bleeding because I think Rumi like stabbed herself with some glass or something. It's, it's, it's kind of confusing at this point. But anyways, Mima tackles Rumi out of the way. And they're kind of just laying in the street in the rain. And people are like, what's going on? Who are these people? We're like, call the ambulance. Call the cops. So we come into the last scene of the movie, Mariah, which is in a hospital. A mental hospital, mind you. In which Rumi is locked up in. Because I think we forgot to mention that at some point, Rumi was actually a singer too, right? Um, I don't know. I think she was. I think they just mentioned it real quick. It's not shown, but I think they talk about it really quick. That Rumi, the, the crazy manager, was actually a, a famous person herself at some point, or tried to be famous. And so she became super obsessed with Mima to the point that she started to believe that she was her. So we see Mima kind of like saying goodbye to her, like, yeah, I'm not going to come back here to see her again. I'm just making sure she's okay. But after this, I'm done. She's not a part of my life anymore. And then we see some nurses talking about how that's not Mima. That's, that can't be her. Like, why would she be here? Like, nah, it's, it's, it's a lookalike. It's a double. It's, a, it's someone <laughs> pretending to be her. So, still, having people doubt her, her real identity. And then at the very end, she gets into her car and she's like, no, I'm the real one. So, <laughs> chan chan chan, is she the real one? <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that's really her at the end? Yes. I do. At what least if it was Rumi? that is what I'm hopeful for. Because <laughs> if it's Rumi, that would be a crazy um, cliffhanger right there. Be like, whoa, 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 what just happened? <laughs> See, I'm hoping, or, or I'm thinking rather, that it was Mima too, like the real one. But with how crazy this movie is, I wouldn't doubt if it's actually Rumi. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That would be like the ultimate, like. Mind blown ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes, Maria, what do you think about this last scene? It was so good. I, I feel with this scene, it definitely wrapped up the entire movie for me. Because I was very questionable throughout the film because I, as an adult watching it again, there were just a lot of twists and turns that I didn't get the first time. And so it was pretty neat to getting, getting to rewind and stuff. We didn't really have that option back in the day sometimes when on live TV, you didn't have a DVR box. <laughs> so unless you didn't have the DVD and it came on on TV, you couldn't really do pause. So that was really exciting getting to do that. Um, but yeah, it was it was so good, and uh, I just I loved it, loved it. I agree with you. I think this movie was pretty great. But before we score the movie, though, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, if you don't mind. Of course. <laughs> so I, I found some things here about things that have to do with the movie. Uh, number one, I looked up the meaning of the color blue. 
because you would ask, or I ask myself, why is this movie called Perfect Blue? And yeah, there there are scenes in which the the I guess the filter is blue and, and it looks blue is a, a dominant color, but not in the entire movie. So, by the way, Mariah, blue is my favorite color. I think I might have mentioned that to you before. Oh, that is amazing. So I looked it up, and this is the definition of the color blue, or what it represents, rather. According to the webpage called supercolor.com. So it says here, the color blue represents both the sky and the sea, and is associated with open spaces, freedom, intuition, imagination, inspiration, and sensitivity. It also represents depth, trust, loyalty, sincerity, wisdom, confidence, stability, faith, and intelligence. So that is why it's my favorite color, because I'm smart. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about that? That's really interesting, because for me, I, I don't know. I fell in love with when, of course, my favorite movie is The Ring, and that movie was just the way it had a lot of blue tones to it. And in this film, I feel, I guess, the promotional ads for it, too. And you do see a, a bit of blue, not as extreme, <laughs> but um, you do see some of it. And I just thought the promotional ads, it looks so sad. And it's very blue. And I don't know why that makes me excited <laughs> to see. I just think, wow, this is going to be a great film. So I base it on the color blue when it's a horror movie. Like, there's something going to be traumatic or really sad. And I don't know. I've just always seen it that way. Um, when it comes to, of course, horror and the color blue. Together. <laughs> so there's a couple more things here that I want to talk about when it comes to the meaning or the interpretation of the color blue, my friend. So it says here that blue represents rest and can cause the body to produce chemicals that are calming and release feelings of tranquility. So Ooh. it also helps with balance and self-expression. And I read somewhere before that that is why some hospitals use blue for the waiting rooms. Because that makes you kind of feel, I guess, calm and, and at peace, so to speak. I don't know how true that is, but I read that somewhere. <laughs> so if it's on the internet, it must be true. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can kind of see that. Um, I mean, I, I felt really happy <laughs> watching The Ring and, of course, this one, too. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. And then another thing that it says here is that if you use too much of it, blue may come across as cold or uncaring. Mm. Huh. So it's also a highly corporate color. And it's highly accepted amongst males. And 
it is a preferred color for corporate America. So a lot of logos are blue for businesses. Oh, wow. Uh, but not when it comes to food and cooking because blue <laughs> can suppress appetite. So I hope you're doing, you're doing it wrong. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, the logo can be blue, but I guess the decor inside, you kind of don't want it to be blue because that makes people not feel hungry for some reason. I don't care what color it is, I'll eat if I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, same here. The walls can be red, blue, white, whatever it is. I'll eat something. If, if I'm starving, I'll eat. So, the last thing is that, yeah, light blue is associated with health, healing, tranquility, and softness. So... Interesting, I would say. I would say definitely when it comes to the color blue, but there is one last thing, Mariah, I want to talk about because it pertains to psychology. And it's a French term. Ever heard something of something rather called folie de? Uh, I think so. Which is the folly of two. Folie of two, okay. Folie de translated into English. So basically it's something that can actually happen and it's when two people become mentally disturbed and they share symptoms including delusional beliefs and hallucinations according to Wikipedia. I mean I, I read about this a little bit when I was in college but not too much in depth because again I'm not an expert. But this is something that could actually present itself in reality. It's a shared psychotic disorder, meaning that it is possible for a person to influence someone to the point that they themselves start having delusions. How scary oh, is that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've seen some stuff like this in movies. I don't know if I have person um or saying it firsthand um i mean i've been to of course um nursing homes and that was really sad to see or hospice those hospice hospitals um where it almost feels like the person is gone and they have a neighbor next to them or like you know somebody you know in a, in a bed as well and so I've overheard, I remember visiting my grandma, I've overheard, um, I guess, like, a hallucination happening between two people in the hospice. But of course, it's, it, you know, there's there's a reason for that, you know, they're, I guess, um, let's say, like, leaving this world and stuff. So, I don't know, it's, it's really, really sad. And, you know, it's crazy too is that when um hearing about this it almost reminds me of when my grandma was passing away i remember she like looked up and it looked like she was like touching something and then she went back to normal and told me to like watch out or like to take care of my mom and stuff and then when my aunt came in she went back and looked at the ceiling she didn't even talked to my aunt and that was like it for her. So it is really weird how things um, can happen. Like just, I don't know, just how different, uh, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really sad, but ugh. 
the mind is a very mysterious thing, my friend. Yes, it is. It really, really is. And I, I have overheard, of course, in hospitals, but I don't think I've ever seen it firsthand, um, like how you're explaining it. Um, it's, it's, yeah. In the movie, I guess it kind of takes place because we have Rumi, who is the manager. She has delusions as far as her wanting to be Mima. She thinks she is Mima, or she wants to be. And then she convinces the security guard of having his own delusions because he's obsessed with Mima already. But somehow she finds out and she convinces him to, hey, this is not the real Mima anymore. I'm the real Mima now. <laughs> so... Yeah. Through her emails, through her writings to him, she influences this guy into thinking like, hey, I'm gonna do something good because someone's pretending to be the person that I love, that I am obsessed with. And the real person, the one that I know is real, or that I think is real, is telling me to deal with the fake one. Get rid of her. So, yeah, I mean, and it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I could talk about psychology stuff for hours, but I'm not going to do that to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> or to our audience, because we are already going to come close to the two-hour mark here. Yay! But... <laughs> doesn't even feel like two hours, right? No, it totally doesn't. It doesn't. When I talk to you, it's like time flies by. <laughs> Especially when it's about fun stuff like psychology and movies and horror and violence app. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess we can move on to the scores unless you have something else to add. Nope. Alright, so how many fake managers app <laughs> do you want to give this movie out of 10? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty high up there. I want to give it like a 10. A 10? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's crazy. I'm gonna go out on a limb and agree with you also. It's it's just wow. It's a good movie. It's a really good movie. It touches up on a whole bunch of stuff. But you need to be the kind of person that's attentive. If you're gonna be messing with your phone or talking to your dog or your cat, I mean, that's not gonna help you because you're gonna lose track of it. <laughs> so, I wanna give it a 10 as well, but what is it that impacted you the most about this movie? I think after watching this, it um, there was I don't know I when I watched this film, I just kept picturing a lot of my life, um, my I guess my I don't want to say past life, but my just my old life um, back back in Texas. So it just. I don't know, it was really encouraging to see um, just the sunshine in the end. And that, for me, was amazing. That you can go through all this trauma and still get through everything and smile again. And just be able to live your life. Um, so that's what this movie did for me. It just gave me encouragement. Uh, Nima's character throughout the entire thing. Seeing her in the end, I was really, really happy. And I'm hopeful 
that it's her. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's something that's a little bit different than what I thought you were gonna say, but that's okay. Oh, <laughs> what, were you, what were your thoughts? Because you're usually the one that's all about the gore and violence. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, that was a plus for sure. That was that was a huge plus. But I think what drew me more was the story and just how it ended and how I just, I don't know, I just saw myself in a lot of this. <laughs> um, and just um, as, as Mima's character as like just going through so much and then just, you know being okay afterwards that was incredible to see um but also too i mean the gore was was top notch for anime in the 90s it was good really really good so i did talk about how some of the things in this movie that happened kind of i guess i relate to them in the sense that yeah we all go through times in which we question our decisions and stuff like that i don't know if it was because the protagonist was a woman but that wasn't the main thing for me, the emotional stuff. Um, I don't know how that sounds, by the way. I'm not trying to be sexist. sexist here. <laughs> yeah, that's um, good to know. <laughs> no, of course not. I mean, that's not what I'm trying to say here. Like, but I mean, I guess because I'm a guy, I don't really. I mean, we talked about how it's difficult for men to express our emotions in a different episode. Which, okay. by the way, you should you should all listen to <laughs> the one about the Babadook, I think. And I guess because. Of that, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it, I do find stuff emotional, and I, I relate to stuff like that also, but to me, I guess maybe because I majored in psychology, the psychological stuff was the, the standout for me. How easy, quote-unquote, it is for someone to lose track of themselves sometimes. And how scary that can be. So, to me, that was the main takeaway, like, how easy it is for because whatever it is you're going through in life you can at some point find yourself overwhelmed and then before you know it you're neck deep in water so to speak and it's like how did i get, how did i get here how do i get out of here who am i at this point like how like so that to me was the main takeaway how easy it is for us to lose ourselves in something and having to deal with getting ourselves through that. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. I guess, I guess um, for me, I would say it was more, I guess, going through traumatic experiences so young and almost losing yourself and not really knowing like who am i because it feels almost like your identity has or has been robbed or not your identity well for me i think it was more like i felt like my life was robbed in some way yeah um, like your sense of self yeah so it was it was really difficult to try to get back to where i was um when I was the happiest and stuff. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely like my, <laughs> my glowing, <laughs> but yeah, I can definitely relate to that. In a way, I think we see things a little bit similar, just from a different perspective, I guess, because we, I mean, yeah, it's, it's about losing yourself and, and 
your sense of self. So, yeah, it's definitely a very interesting film. Very insightful. It makes you question a lot of things about yourself, about the movie itself, because you, <laughs> it's how crazy things get in there. And I guess we are calling the villain is Rumi, right? Rumi, for sure. So how many skulls does she get out of 10 and why? 10. A 10, because that is evil <laughs> to man manipulation. is so evil. And the fact that it was all fake caring, that is yeah. probably a worse feeling ever, is thinking, you know, you don't have anyone and you're really trying to have somebody there for you and really they're just, it's, it's for nothing. And, and it's like, how can you put your trust in somebody who would want to hurt you? It almost reminded me even like, you know, with Selena, Quintanilla, kind of like that. Betrayal? Yeah. Um, yeah. With Yolanda Salt. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely <laughs> reminded me of that. And I just thought um, that is the worst thing. And I guess because, you know, we all went through, I guess, of course, when, I mean, I was only like a one. And I met her like a few months before she passed away. So um, that was really wild. And, you know, having having that is, uh, I can't even imagine the betrayal behind that. So, yeah, that, that's a 10 for me. That is really evil. So basically the person you're trusting to help you, to be there for you, to support you, is the one that ends up hurting you the most. So, yeah, definitely I agree with you. It's going to be a 10 for her, for me. Or from me, rather. So, yeah, it's just somebody... I mean, clearly she's mentally disturbed, but... I mean, going to the lengths that she goes to... It's... It's... It's scary. That there are people like that. You mentioned, like, Yolanda with Selena. So, yeah, that's something that I hadn't thought about, actually. <laughs> yeah, I was... It was crazy because I remember like finishing up the movie and just thinking, Yolanda, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's that's scary right there. That is, that is not good because that actually does happen in real life." And that's what's crazy is when you when you fall in love with certain horror movies and then you think, "Whoa," you get like a like, "Wow, this is actually really even though it's very brutal, it's very educational." In so many ways because you can hopefully learn um, I mean of course there's not always gonna be I guess um, like a, a safety zone always but it just it makes you it makes you think um, because a lot of people just you know they just go day by day and stuff and it's 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 crazy to think like yeah this does actually happen no matter how much safety procedures you know you have or are aware of or anything like there's always going to be danger all the time and that's really sad you're never safe anywhere ah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, is, or with anyone that is that is that's the nail right there isn't it's, that a scary feeling to think that sometimes like 
you know what, like, who can I really trust? Like, if yeah. even the people that I am supposed to, like, like Brittany, for example, her parents. Yes. When it's that close to home in your heart that, that are supposed to, like, ideally, you're, or, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. ideally, your family is there to protect you, to take care of you, to guide you through life. And in her case, they were the ones messing her up the most. Yeah, that's, oh, man. It's crazy. So, yeah, this, this film is um, very, very out there. And I just, I, I really, really love this film. Um, and it, you know, it's like how you were saying in that it was kind of funny because like, I wasn't even about the gore. I was like, <laughs> the story behind it, though, it's so good. This is real life. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy when I do find, you know, movies like this. Um, but I'm really happy you liked it, too. Oh, you yeah. You said yes to it. That was incredible because it is one of my, it's, definitely up there it's probably like my number three favorite horror films oh yeah no it, it's oh. it's a great recommendation for anyone that's looking for psychological thrillers or movies that make you think about life and to reconsider your life choices <laughs> <laughs> so do we have anything more to add my friend before we sign up for the evening um i think that was all <laughs> awesome so that was our episode on the animated film Perfect Blue from 1997. It's been a while. <laughs> 1997. So I want to thank you guys for listening once again. And before we leave, though, I want to remind you to please check out our Linktree page, which is linktree.com slash myths behind LGDS. You can find our links to our social media stuff there, our online store, and you can score some sweet EMBO swag for yourselves. So in the meantime listen to our other episodes and if you're listening to this episode on a podcast service that allows you to rate the podcast by all means give us a top score because we are cool like that are we not mariah absolutely yeah so that's gonna be all for us once again thank you very much for listening i want to ask you guys to stay away from people who look like you or who pretend to be like you <laughs> stay away from them they're not good for you seek help for them not for you <laughs> and until we see you on the next one have a good one <laughs>